Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter number 7. Genesis chapter number 7. I'll begin reading in verse number 11. Genesis chapter 7 and verse number 11. Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings, in chapter number 7. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. And as we read this, let's be reminded. Let's be reminded not of the children's story with the cartoon arc and the happy little giraffe sticking their head out of the window. But instead, if we could overcome that perception for a moment. And remember that when we open to Genesis chapter 7, we are looking over the watery grave of all of humanity with the exception of one family. We're observing one of the mountaintops of tragedy when it comes to the, the judgment of God. But we're also viewing one of the most precious moments of grace in the life of Noah and his family. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 7, verse number 11, that in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day where all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. They and every beast after his kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing at that creepeth upon the earth after his kind and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two, of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lifted up above the earth. And the waters prevailed. And were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went up upon the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth. And all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the water prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both fowl, and of cattle, and of beasts, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And every man, all of whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things and the fowl of the heaven. And they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive. And they that were there with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed upon the earth a hundred and fifty days. Father, I ask that you would empty me of myself in this moment, 
that you would fill me with your spirit, for we are a people that want to hear from you. And Lord, I don't know if there's anyone here among us today who is not right with you, who is in need of salvation. And Father, you have provided an ark for their deliverance, for there is another flood coming. Lord, not of water, but of fire. And Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning. Help us as believers also to see that sometimes deliverance involves trial and tribulation. And Lord, I pray that you would help me. Help me to be your instrument to accomplish your purpose. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There's a lot of interest in the flood. There's interest in children's stories, to hear the stories of the flood. Sometimes, however, we make the mistake, as I mentioned even before reading this passage, of making a caricature of this event as if it wasn't real. I feel a little odd sometimes. I'll be looking at the toys that my children have, and we have some Noah and the Ark toys. These cute little figures and fluffy white beards and smiley faces. And, and I think, oh, how cute. And then I remember what really happened there in that day. And some say, well, the flood, there's, there's just not much of a chance that that happened. I say, oh, that's just what religious people say. That's just in the Bible, but there's no other evidence for it. I'll have you to know, friend, that that about the only religion that I know of that is a staunch proponent, highly in favor of every archaeological endeavor are believers in the Bible because archaeology does not discredit the Bible, but instead, at every single turn, true archaeology uncovers the truth of God's Word. In fact, I'll have you to note that according to Dr. Henry Morris, he makes mention that evidence of a catastrophic flood in almost every strata of Earth's geology can be found. He makes a couple different observations. He says that almost all of the world's rivers are unfit, underfit streams. They now course through valleys that are much too wide and much too deep for the present body of water. Not only are the valleys too wide and too deep, but the beds of alluvium under the valleys and under the streams themselves are usually far too extensive to have been laid down by the existing rivers. One of the most glorious evidences of this is if you were to go out to the Grand Canyon, you find what they call the mighty raging Colorado River, standing at the rim of the Grand Canyon, looking down to that river, it is obvious to everyone there's no way that that made this. It's evidence that there is a period in the earth's history in which the river that ran through that basin out west was not the Colorado River, but instead was a massive runoff of water from the flood he goes on and he notes that the great deserts of the world 
were all once covered by water. The Sahara Desert, the Gobi, the Arabian Desert, and the Great Basin in the western United States all give abundant archaeological evidence that they once carried an abundance of water. He goes on, he says, even the greatest mountains on earth have an overwhelming amount of fossilized marine life that have been discovered throughout the earth's highest mountain ranges. Now, I want you to wrap your mind around this, the fact that Mount Everest, a mountain that stands as tall as airliners cruise almost 30,000 feet, it has been discovered that there are fossilized marine life on the top of Mount Everest. And they've known this as early as 1929 during the fateful expedition of George Mallory. Even Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzig Norgay, the first ones to summit Mount Everest in 1953, made discoveries of strata and rock layers that are only found in water-covered areas. Hello! Is anybody home? This is not just some fictitious cartoon, but instead, this is a true account of what happened in one of the most, if not the most, disastrous day in all of human history. The reality of what happened is this, is that wickedness consumed the earth. Genesis chapter number 6, verse number 11, we see the reality mentioned on the pages of our Bible as it says that the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence and God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. It was just as the Bible said that there was a corruption, there was this life on earth that was teeming with evil, not humbling itself under the authority of God, but flesh and mankind which sought to please themselves and follow after themselves instead of humbly putting themselves under the submission of God's word. That is the reality of what happened and what came as a result is that all of man Mankind, with the exception of Noah and his family, perished. The Bible says in Genesis 7.20 that the floodwaters were so high that it was 15 cubits. That is about 22 feet, even above the highest mountains. What an incredible and catastrophic event. And it all came because man was not willing to put himself under the authority of God. There are many things that have been preached and could be preached about these chapters. But I would like to preach a message this morning entitled, The Same Flood. The Same Flood. For if you were on two different sides of this flood, it would look entirely different. The same flood. Friends back there, don't worry about advancing the slides. You can just leave that one right there. The same flood. 
There is one side of this flood in which the inhabitants of the ark saw the flood externally outside of this ship, this ark that the Lord had had provided for them by way of instruction and resources and material. And now they sat in the security and in the safety of it. And as the rains began to pour down and overwhelm the earth, they were safe inside. But during that same flood in which some were spared, many more perished. And I could imagine the scene with the eye of my mind looking back through the ages of history when that first drop began to descend from the cloud and splat down upon the earth as mankind began to observe this torrential downpour and this breakening of the deep that the Bible describes that waters came both from underneath as well as from above. And as husbands and wives began to gather children and, and family members to the high peaks of the mountains and run into the hills to climb onto the tops of their houses that they might escape what was about to take place. We're not so far removed from communities here in Kentucky and in the surrounding areas that have been overwhelmed by localized floods. And we've seen on the news the devastation and the loss of life that has come as a result of it. But what if that flood was not localized but was global? For I would like to point out to you today a contrast, if you will. A contrast that all took place during this same flood. The first thing that I would like you to notice is the contrast between the fact that the same water that brought destruction was the same water that also brought deliverance. It was the same flood. The same waters that brought destruction upon the wicked also brought deliverance to those who sought to live righteously. First, I want you to notice the destruction of the unrighteous. In Genesis chapter number 7, verse number 21, the Bible says that all flesh died that moved upon the earth both fowl and of cattle and of beasts and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And I want you to notice the last three words of verse number 21. And every man. There was a destruction of unrighteousness. The Bible says in Genesis 6 verse number 5 that God saw the wickedness of man and it was great in the earth. Here we are. So many thousands of years removed from that diluvian flood which overwhelmed this earth. But there was something that overwhelmed the earth before it was water. And that thing that overwhelmed the earth first was not water, but evil. Evil permeated the heart and the mind of every single man and of every single woman and every single child. The thoughts of man were evil continually. And you may say, well, Pastor Jared, what is evil? And I believe that that's a valid question. It's a question that's being debated in the world right now. Is there such thing as good and bad? Or is it all in the eye of the beholder? Is it all moral relativism to where what is right 
right for you is not right for me, and what is wrong for you is not wrong for me. And I would say that there is a moral absolute, an unchanging truth, and it is the truth of God's Word. We can all try to be the masters of our own faith. In doing so, we can try to write a moral code that appeases us so that we can sleep better at night. But I remind every ear and every heart and every mind that is here this morning that there is an absolute truth. There is an absolute right and wrong. And one day we will all stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and answer for that truth of our sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And before the first drop of water fell and before water overflowed this earth, there was first something else that overflowed the earth and it was evil. The Bible says in Genesis 6, 5 uh, that that the thoughts of his heart, the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. And here we are stuck in this almost post-Christian culture, if you will, to where it seems that everyone's thoughts are battling between right and wrong. And there is an overwhelming flood of darkness that is upon this earth right now. But the most frightful thing is that 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 realm of darkness, which has overflowed this earth, is overflowing our eyes and overflowing our minds. And it has convinced so many people that they are just in the sight of God. And with boldness they say that God will be my judge. But little do they realize how true of a statement that is. That God will be their judge. And he will cast down every wicked thought. He will cast down every imagination. He will cast down every wicked deed. And he will cast down every man or woman who has rejected his son Jesus Christ. The first side of this flood that we must understand is that there was cause, just cause, for God's destruction. The Bible does say in Genesis chapter number 6 that it grieved him, it grieved God. God in his heart. Be it known this morning that God so loved the world. Let us be reminded that everyone that was that is alive on this earth now and was alive on this earth back then was fashioned by the fingers of God in their mother's womb who was loved and cared for, who God was trying to reach. And that's why we see that phrase in Genesis 6, 6, that it grieved him in his heart because he knew that judgment was coming. Oh, it's one thing to notice that judgment grieves the heart of God. But what concerns me the most is that judgment no longer grieves us. Where is the conviction that was once felt when evil was taken part of, when sin became part of our normal lives? Where is that pain? Where is that agony that our injustice, our sin, our debauchery, our wickedness, our lies, our lust, our bitterness, our pride, our indulgence who once was a, a sinful and a wicked thought, but now every man seeks to justify himself by his own ways. And yes, it grieves God that judgment is coming. But how come it no longer grieves us? It's because we've forgotten that there is destruction looming. Genesis 6, 7, the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. 
both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it that repenteth me that I have made them. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says it this way, And he spared not the old world, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. There is yet another flood coming, not of water. We have a rainbow as a signification of God's promise to that. But there is a flood of fire on its way. And it will bring forth judgment. But I notice this as well. In 1 Peter chapter number 3 verse 20, I read these words that eight souls were saved by water. And I'm brought into the realization that the same flood, the same flood that brought destruction also brought deliverance. Notice with me, if you would, it seems that each time that the ark is mentioned as the rain begins to pour down and as the flood begins to rage higher, that each time that ark specifically is mentioned after that place, we see that the ark begins to elevate. Look with me in Genesis chapter 7 and verse number 17. The Bible says, And the flood was forty days upon the earth. And the waters increased. And we can picture with our mind the increase of water as it begins to consume the lives of those that have been living with evil continually. And as God exacts his judgment and as the windows of heaven give him a means to pour out his wrath and judgment upon the earth. And as his judgment is poured out upon ungodliness, I picture it in my mind. But notice what it says about the ark in verse 17. And the flood was 40 days upon the earth and the waters increased, and notice this, and bear up the ark. Notice further, and it was lifted up above the earth. Notice what it says in verse 18, and the waters prevailed and were increasingly great upon the earth and the ark went up. It went upon the face of the waters. You know, I started thinking about, about this. As Noah and his family are there in this terrifying day, in this terrifying moment as the water is pouring down on this earth and they're in this ark and they're trusting in this boat. As the waters begin to raise and begin to come up on the side of the boat, I don't know about you, but what I would be wondering is, oh man, I hope this works. Because <laughs> if this thing doesn't float, we're toast. The waters begin to rise higher and higher on the keel of that boat. Higher and higher, yet the boat does not move. They hear the pounds of fists. As people beg to get in, but it's too late for God has shut the door. 
The time is over. Man has made his decision and now only consequence comes. But Noah, perhaps wringing his hands inside of that boat, both grieved for the people on the outside, but also concerned about his family on the inside. Oh, I hope this works. The water makes it about halfway up the side of that boat. and Still no movement, but there's no leaks. So we're halfway there. And all of a sudden they feel a shift. A rock to the left a bit and then back to the right. Maybe even concern for a moment that it's just going to topple over. But then in no uncertain or confusing way, they feel the boat lift now. They are not borne up by the things of this earth, but instead they are carried by what's been sent down from above. And as the water begins to raise, so does that mighty ship. And we read that as the waters increase, that the waters bear up the ark. And it was lifted up above the earth. And it was the same water which destroyed everything else that delivered Noah and his family. And as the waters begin to rise, so does the ship. And as the waters overcome the earth, the ship overcomes the water to such a point where there is only one thing, only one thing between earth and heaven and it's this boat carrying those eight souls safely safely inside and it is reminder, a reminder to me that there was another time where God sent down something from above that mankind might be lifted from this earth and his name is Jesus Christ for yes he made his eternal residence in heaven but did not the Lord send him down to the earth that he might raise us up forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness Oh, and then I began to thumb through those pages of the Psalms which spoke of the Lord's coming. And I'm reminded of something that the Lord said in Psalm chapter at number 22. He, there on the cross of Calvary, Jesus cries, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Did you know that those words were not original to Jesus Christ in his incarnation, but instead he is quoting what is prophesied about him all the way back in the time of David. Psalm chapter 22 reads, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? And could I remind you that the same flood that delivered them also brought disaster to those that were in sin? And what is it that happened to the Lord Jesus Christ when he came? It was the wrath of God that was poured out once more on Jesus. Not because he was guilty, but because our guilt, our sin, our shame was placed in him. And when sin was placed in him and God pours out his wrath on him, the father turns his back and Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But I can't help but notice that we read in the 14th verse of that same chapter this phrase that I am poured out like water. Poured out like water. 
I'm reminded of the waters of that flood which brought destruction on the ungodly. And I'm reminded that Jesus Christ was made to be sin for us. And the wrath of God was poured out on him when rightfully it should be poured out on me. You remember at the opening of the service, all we sang about the glories of God and and that blood that's able to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. How we lifted our voices and surveyed the wondrous cross. For it was not us who were good enough to get to God, but it was on the cross of Jesus Christ where our sins were paid for so that we could go free. He died in our place. In other words, we should have been the ones outside of the ark in that flood receiving the recompense of our reward. But instead, it was Jesus Christ who died for us. Oh, but I remind you that the same flood that brought destruction also brought deliverance. For it was that flood that wiped away the sin that was on this earth. It was that flood that wiped away the evil men that were seeking to influence righteousness. And when Noah stepped out, he stepped out in a different world than what he was in before. Now, it wasn't perfect yet. Only Jesus Christ can do that. But it's a picture of what Christ has done for us and a picture of what Christ can do in us. Oh, and as I picture the waters that carried that ship, I picture the water of Jesus Christ's cleansing that carries my soul. And I tell you, you can't trust in some mountain. Because there is no mountain high enough to get to God. You can't trust in the scaffolding of religious practice for it's shaky at best. You cannot trust in your ability to jump high enough to grab the lowest rung of heaven's ladder and then climb your way up. For there's only one way, and it's by entering in. Yeah, I'm shocked at how many ways people have devised that they think that you can get to heaven. So all paths lead to heaven. When according to the Bible, that's not true at all. Jesus himself says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 verse number 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And I am not here to try to upset or try to offend intentionally. But what that means is that you cannot get there by the name of Buddha, nor by the name of Muhammad, nor by the name of the Pope, nor by our own name. And I don't say that in an attacking or facetious way. But if I could just set the record straight that there is salvation in none other name. For it is only by the name of Jesus. You see, that's why Jesus himself says, in Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 he says he pleads with mankind and says enter ye in at the straight gate 
For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. And I can imagine in the days of Noah that there were many that entered in by the broad gate, or by the broad way and the wide gate. There are many that entered in to that way of the flood and destruction, uh, thinking that, that they were making their own way and justifying their own actions. But there is only one justifier, and it's God. There's only one reconciler, and that's Jesus. Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. And he turns to a religious man by the name of Nicodemus. And he says, except a man be born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. I can't speak to the circumstances of your life I wish I could take enough time to, to know each and every person's week and what they're dealing with and the trials of their life. But let me tell you, if the rain has begun to fall, there are two sides to this flood. And it was the same flood that brought destruction that also brought deliverance. The only difference is who was in the ark. I believe with every fiber of my being that the Lord uses many diverse ways to get a hold of the heart of mankind. And maybe the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart. You're in a flood and you're swimming with every ounce of your energy. You're gasping for air. But the waves continually pound you down. And you're looking for the answer and think that if you could just get one more breath, then you'll be okay. Just one more stroke of the arm or, or kick of the feet and you'll be fine. My friend, there's a flood coming. And one more breath won't do it. And one more stroke of the arm won't do it. One more kick of the foot will not get you to the service because it is going to keep coming. And there is only one way out. And that way is Jesus Christ. And he has sent a flood to get your attention. I don't have time to go into this. You might be shocked to know that this is only half of the message. <laughs> Maybe we'll come back to Noah tonight. But for the believer, some of you have found yourself discontent in the confines of the ark that God has provided. Because of your discontentment, you have failed to see how good God's been to you. And maybe you just need reminded this morning that there's two sides of this flood. And if you're in the ark, not because you're better than everybody else, but because of God's grace, we ought to be thankful. Oh, but this ark stinks. Well, take a shower. God's been good to us. But maybe you're here this morning and truth be told, 
you're on the other side of that flood. You've never received Christ as your Savior. You have thought, maybe even your whole life, you've been mixed up in a whole world of different religious beliefs or back and forth, tossed around with every idea that man has. I'm telling you, there is only one way that the Bible describes to receive forgiveness of our sins, and that's by Jesus Christ. And if you've never received Christ as your Savior, your sin, the penalty of it is still on your shoulders. But Christ has come to forgive you of your sin, to make you his own, to place you in the ark of his deliverance and make you a child of God. And I beg you, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, have the courage today to receive him as the Bible says.